left episode number 28. And uh, yes, very, very strange times uh, for me and for a lot of other people on the on the left and, and I'm sure on the, on the entire political spectrum, really. Our first topic and uh, is who gains from war or, or can you gain from war? Um, I know totally where I stand on that one and I always have. Uh, I'll put my card straight on the table. I see no excuse for war. I really don't. Uh, I, I I do kind of understand slightly if you are attacked. Well, you know, you, you are almost obliged to fight back to survive. But the idea of attacking, just I'm done with that. Anyway, Thelma, I just had to get that off my chest at the start. And as welcome to the podcast and uh, let's see how we go. I know we're both um, not feeling utterly great at the moment because of what's going on but uh, we'll try and do our best anyway Thelma how are you yeah yeah I'm okay I, I suppose like everybody else just um heartbroken at what's happening on quite a few levels really obviously the wider picture of the threat of well to be blunt you know the possibility of world war and and what is happening in Ukraine and uh, especially to the innocent um victims and, and then, of course, what's happening politically to to the Labour Party, my former party, forty years. So there's the, the, on lots of levels, it's 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 hard, isn't it, to to be upbeat at all at the moment, or to try and be positive. And just going back to what what you were saying, Tom, about the rationale for war, and there is no justification. And um, well, it's often for me, war is an admission of a failure of. Uh, diplomacy uh, and uh, peace negotiations, but but there 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 are sometimes there is justification for some wars for humanitarian reasons. Um, I, I won't pretend that I, I'm an expert on geopolitics um, or foreign policy, um, etc. But what I do know is that there has been um, in terms of history and what we learn from history and when you look at the outcome of wars and conflict um there's there's really any winners other than arms dealers <laughs> and, and um and i i just feel that what we're seeing at the moment what what got to me was how quickly everything escalated because there there were world leading politicians uh, going for for the, for the different meetings, meeting with Putin, um, and everything just seemed to happen so quickly, and negotiations just seemed to break down so quickly. And I mean, Putin is an imperialist, isn't he? I mean, there's just there's there's no two ways about it. The the man is is uh, completely and utterly uh, in the wrong, um, um, and what he is doing is. Is, is completely unacceptable but I, I think that you know there needs to be the balanced debate about what are the factors that have led up to this not condoning his behavior at all but as I said at the beginning um it's a war is a failure in uh, negotiations and diplomacy and so you I've got to say that our leading politicians thus far have failed in terms of where we are now and you have to look at that um but the outcome of war always always it's the innocent and the children in particular um that that suffer 
uh, and and as we speak, what's happening in in Ukraine, um, but you know has been happening around the world. You know, in Yemen at the moment, where there's conflict, but you know, actual uh, children starving, uh, there's famine there. You know, the, the dreadful things happening around the world. Um, what's happening in Palestine? You know, the, it, this it, it conflict has to be resolved and at the end of the day the war will happen but they will still eventually have to get around that table and negotiate what's peace going to look like so you know why can we not cut out the conflict and and just stick that talking to each other negotiating compromising all of those things, which some people seem to think is a sign of weakness, and I don't see it that way at all, because people don't, nobody really wins, as I say, other than war profiteers um, and arms dealers, it seems to me, anyway, Tom. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that, Thelma, and I, 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 I'm not sure how much I'm going to be able to say during this podcast, but um, it might be quite short, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I, I find it so disappointing that that it's got to this. I, I've, I've kind of studied the, as much as I can about how it's happened and, and the, uh, whether, whether, you know, who's made mistakes where and, you know, everyone's got, there's so many points of view and there's so many angles and so many justifications on both sides. And, and all I can think is, well, I, I don't know because for a start I don't know who's telling what truth what lies and but I what I do know is that the the people picking up the tab for this are not the people that are responsible for all those mistakes all those lies all those all of that stuff the people that are suffering here are are the wrong well no one should suffer anyway but certainly not the, the ordinary people and it and it's always the way you know, even the Russian soldiers—they're ordinary people. They're—they're not—they don't have. Well, I don't know. I don't know them, so I shouldn't really say this. But I'm sure a lot of them don't have a problem with Ukrainian people. Uh, mm. it, it just anyone can see that war is madness. Uh, so how come these people that want these wars? How come they can't see it? How come they can't imagine what it is like to be caught up in that absolute crap? And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I'm speechless really on it. Um, but, uh, you know, we will. I think what you said uh, earlier, Tom, about you don't know what to believe. I think it's <laughs> there's propaganda on both sides, isn't there, really? And it's really difficult to um, you watch what's on our tv screens you listen to the radio you look at social media and you hear the different sides and you hear the different perspectives and you see the different stories and you can't ignore what's there before you when you see the innocent suffering but you you do now um because trust has gone and you know i'm speaking for myself here but but for me with a lot of politicians i've lost trust I've lost trust, and I think I think a lot of the public have too, in a lot of politicians. And once trust goes, that's a very, very difficult, very difficult thing to ever get back. Trust and integrity, 
Um, and because I've lost trust in some journalists and what we're seeing at the moment with people who quite high profile people who I considered to be have similar views to myself, let's put it that way, have now are now using their p- platform to criticise um, a regime which existed under the previous Labour leader that they were actively supporting in many ways and are now using their platform to imply that the people in the Stop the War coalition and supporters of Stop the War are, are actually uh, condoning uh, Putin's actions in some way. And, and that is being uncritical of and being critical of NATO or unquestioning of NATO's actions in terms of expanding into Europe is, you know, what is, is wrong. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm so disappointed with some of these journalists that have used their platform just this week to, to do that when they were actually part of, and saw that, that Jeremy, um, as the former leader of the opposition, was there in the chamber calling out the Tories and the Russian money sloshing around uh, the city of London and the oligarchs' money. And, you know, the Shadow Treasury team at that time uh, were calling out tax evasion and, and were uh, pushing for the Magnitsky uh, clause, um, you know, to to punish the tax evaders, etc. So it, it, it's that was happening in under the previous leader of the opposition, and and then you get this criticism. It, it's just unbelievable, really. And so you do begin that that phrase gaslighting that um, I'd now fully understand. I didn't a couple of years ago, but I do now to be gaslit to that extent that you do, you do start to think, you do start to question um, uh, what what you're being told. Um, And uh, although having said that, I should say that those journalists that are out there at the moment um, in in Kiev and and main cities in Ukraine, um, with the flat jackets and out in the snow and all weathers and sleeping in um, you know kind of shelters overnight. Um, I you know I really do admire. It takes guts to do that, and they must be absolutely exhausted when the sirens going off all the time and they can hear shelling in the distance and all of that to keep on doing what they're doing. Um, I, you know, I've got to, I've got to, you know, say I've got immense respect for them, but I, I just worry now because I've lost that trust and um, that I, I begin to think, is this propaganda or is this the truth? And it's just so hard to, to know what to believe. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. And, and and you get to the point where everything that comes out of these people's mouths, you just think, well, they're saying that for the di- for a different reason. They're saying that because they they want to attract these votes or they want to impress this person. This isn't, you know, what they're saying isn't what what they believe because they don't really believe anything. They just manipulate whatever's uh, information around for their own yeah. personal gain. And yeah. I, I mean, I'm sure it's been going on since time began, Thelma, but clearly when when Trump came along, we'd never seen anything like it. And, and it was like, goodness me, can someone really stand up there and say this, all these lies? 
and and just deny their lies, even when he's proved to his face their lies. And then we got um, Johnson, who uh, I'm not, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, we did have an agreement before we started the podcast that we wouldn't slag anybody off. But you know, he does. He tells. You know, it's questionable whether he tells the truth, isn't it? A lot of what he says, you think that's not true, and it's been pointed out to him time and again, and he still keeps going, and no one can stop him, and it makes no difference to him. Yeah. And then you yeah. see what. Um, the leader of the opposition's done that that story you told there about you know Je jeremy calling them out on all the russian stuff and then mm. it gets flipped around by the current leaders mm. of the opposition because they want to rubbish the socialists because they're scared mm. of them mm. they flip it round and suddenly the truth is oh socialists support putin and you're like yeah. what how's that happened and, yeah. and yeah. you get to a point honestly thelma i'm now at a point where i'm starting to think this kind of political system doesn't work, you know. No. Well, in any any kind of yeah funding for any politician, it doesn't matter whether it's from Russia or whatever. If they just cut all that out, you know, there, sh there shouldn't be any extra funding backing any politician. If you if you cut that out, no matter who they were, whichever politician, whichever political party, and wherever the funding was from then it, it should all just not happen, you know, because we know that, that there are Labour politicians as well as Tory politicians with funding from other sources. And, you know, it is questionable. What do these people want? If they're putting so much of their money behind particular politicians, why are they doing that? You know, and you've, you've got to ask questions. And at the moment, what? why is, why is Britain being... Why is the UK being so slow to freeze the assets of these Russian oligarchs in our country um, who have assets in our country? Why are we being slower than the rest of Europe, it seems, um, to freeze these assets? Um, and you've got to question it, haven't you? Well, yeah, and why and, and are then... top politicians very quiet at the moment? Um, when they're often uh, making rare interventions, as it's described, um, and, and they're very quiet at the moment, uh, some of the leading politicians. Indeed, and, and, and it's so apparent, isn't it, that we are, we've given them 30 days to, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, for some, well, reasons that you've made obvious there. But at the same time, when when they question the government about it, they say, oh, there's no government in the world that's doing more than us. And you think that's no, blatantly not true. Why, no. why are you saying that? And why, are, why is the media allowing you to get away with saying that? Why is the media giving you a platform to say that? The whole thing, you just get to a point where you just go, no, this is all yeah. rubbish and our... Uh, and it needs re replacing. I think there's a saying, um, it, well, it's not even, yeah, root and branch or whatever it's called, you know, the whole, the yeah. whole tree needs chopping down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, the whole, well, it, you know, you know what I feel about and it, from the Northern Independence um, Party and about the over-centralisation in Westminster and my personal thoughts about Westminster no longer being fit for purpose. This is another reflection of that, isn't it? So it's, a, you know, it links with the whole idea of needing constitutional electoral reform um, and, and uh, you know, it just needs turning on its head because... It, this this is why we're ending up where 
where we're ending up and what is so scary at the moment it almost feels like for me it feels almost like everything's out of control in the way I said that it seemed to escalate from people having talks and negotiating to Putin invading and then and then people coming out with I think here is politicians coming out with irresponsible statements that seem to worsen the situation rather than to, um, uh, to, to, to improve the situation. So um, I, it just feels a bit scary that at a time of such crisis, we haven't got the right people in place. That's, that's the thing that unnerves me. Um, it, it's a bit like I put a, a tweet out when there was um, something from Mark Drakeford travelling to, to Europe on the train. And he's sitting there in his woolly jumper with his mask on on the train, you know, and he's describing why he's going and he's going to meet with European colleagues, etc. And I just had to put, you just have respect and you just feel safe with this man, you know, <laughs> because yeah. I've got, I, I, he's got those socialist values and he is a man you can see of peace and I, I've just got so much respect for him that, um, and what he's doing in Wales and how it could be. And I, I just don't have that sense of when you've got somebody like Keir Starmer wading in there, this chest thumping stuff of, yes, we need to be stronger about a no-fly zone. He obviously hadn't a clue what he was talking about and what the consequences of that would actually be. And you just think you're just trying to outdo the Tories so that your focus group says, oh, yeah, well, maybe your north of England voters might might like that idea of you going in there tougher than the Tories. And you just don't think he thinks through the consequences of what he's saying or, or an understanding of He's an intelligent bloke, but you just get a really strong feeling. He just he says whatever somebody tells him to say, and he doesn't understand it. And that's what scares the hell out of me, actually, Tom. It scares me. How, how, how intelligent is Keir Starmer, Thelma? I mean, I'm not going to let you get away with that statement. I, I, well, uh, I, I, you know, he might have got some qualifications. He might have had an amazing career, et cetera, et cetera. But he behaves like a poodle. You know, he behaves like someone's getting texting him and saying, you know, now you need to say, yeah, we want yeah. a no-fly zone. Or, you know, some, uh, it, yeah. it's just, it just looks awful. Well, looks you pathetic. know, the those are, you know, education, the gardener's levels of different types of intelligence, you know, um, uh, it, there's many different types of intelligence. And they say the, the most important one is emotional intelligence. And for me... That is something massively missing for me with Keir Starmer, emotional intelligence and empathy. And uh, they say the finest leaders have, have the highest levels of emotional intelligence. I am actually very loath to ever say somebody is stupid. There's a lot of that on social media and on, oh, so-and-so is thick or so-and-so is stupid. And I, whether it's because I, you know, I've gone through a career where I was building children's confidence and telling them to believe in themselves and all of that. I don't know, but I hate people that say that a lot because you you can't even even when they do it to a Tory. Well, I hate it, especially when it's a woman. But even when they do it to somebody like Riz Truss, 
I know it's in fun some of the time, but I don't actually like it because if if you're going to get to where she's got, they may not do the homework, they may not think before they speak, etc. But you can't be stupid in terms of, uh, you know, to to be to become an MP, to do to do the previous job. Many of them are lawyers. They've got to have a certain level of intelligence, but there are different types of intelligence. And what I would say is missing from a lot of politicians nowadays. And that Jeremy has in absolute bucket loads is that emotional intelligence and empathy for other people's feelings. And what are my actions? What are the consequences going to be of my actions on this person or other people? And you just get that feeling with the leading politicians at the moment that many of them are not measured enough and do not think about the consequences of their words or their actions, or they are just, as you said about Keir Starmer, getting their instructions from somebody else. Well, um, what I've noticed, Thelma, is that he never has a reasoned debate or a reasoned argument. He, he makes statements and he doesn't ever explain why. And he never puts himself into a situation where he has to face uh you know some kind of rigorous analysis of why he's made that statement he will not go there and he will not expose himself to that because i honestly don't think he he i don't think he can do it i, I really don't i think like he just he's got this idea that this is what we've got to do to get in power i don't even know if that's his idea it might be someone mm. else's idea and he's just the you know, he got picked. I mean, maybe this is conspiracy theory, Thelma. Stop me if it is. Or, or if you <laughs> think it is. But it's almost like he's like, I mean, when Keir Starmer first came on the scene, I've got to admit, I thought, well, this is the kind of bloke you need around. Kind of straight, kind of clear thinking, kind of, you know, pretty orthodox. Amazing. We've got him on the front bench. This is brilliant. He's sitting alongside Jeremy. He gives the whole thing a kind of air of you know, whatever it is, the establishment. Uh, obviously now I've flipped 180 on that whole thing and I'm just thinking, oh dear, this isn't, you know, like you say, there's, the stuff he's coming out with, it's like totally, I mean, this the latest thing with the with the Labour Party, like, you know, think like I do or you're, you, or leave, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I mean, this kind of whole problem of we've got to have this party now that, agrees on everything and anyone that doesn't agree on what Keir Starmer says or what his people say mm. has to you know isn't going to be allowed to stand for parliament so mm. I, I don't know where you stand on that I don't really see how you can have a group of two or three hundred people all like robots all going yes I agree and mm. you know I, I, how's it's, that going to work well I, I mean I think what we're seeing at the moment is, is frankly is bullying um, I think I think what what we're seeing is the minority of socialist MPs that are still remaining in in the PLP are being bullied, and I think they're also being set up in certain situations as well, uh, and they're they're kind of having to dodge certain situations to avoid losing the wit. And it, even though I don't agree with those that have said stay in and fight, because they're going to, you know, eventually they'll, they'll get rid of them one way or another, um, that I can see also their, their decision to say, no, I've been in this party so many years, um, 
or, you know, this is my party, I'm staying in it. I don't understand how they can stay in it any longer, but that's their decision, and I respect that. Again, people on social media saying some appalling things about those that have decided to stay in. Um, you know, and they, you know, these are people that have been braver. That I put that on the social media as well. Braver than most in Westminster, and have spent their whole life working for ordinary people and delivering socialist um, policies. Um, they've spent their whole life doing that and standing on picket lines and, and speaking at different events on behalf of working people. And then you get some keyboard warrior saying appalling things about them. And that does get me annoyed, actually, Tom. Uh, that does get me annoyed. I mean, I'm not saying I don't agree with them staying in. I'm not saying that. But they have, are entitled to, to do what they believe is right. And you, you have to respect that, even if you if you don't agree with it. I mean, what would be wonderful is if they'd all given up the whip and, um, and they were independent and they would work with our People's Alliance. That's what I would love to happen. Uh, and it would strengthen our, you know, our alliance. And, uh, and of course, today's... Um, Today is the day that we have the election in Birmingham, um, Erlington, and uh, Dave Nellis is standing there as the socialist uh, candidate. And I'm hoping he does really well today. I'm hoping he does really well because we, we, do, we do need over the next few years to, to get some socialists elected. And we've got, we've got from Breakthrough and Northern Independence Party we've, um, and Left Unity, we've now got with Tusk, uh, council candidates um, coming forward and, and standing council candidates. So we're it's small steps, I know, but we, you know, we we're going to get there. But yeah, for 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 the regime we've got currently, I think I think we're at the deathbed of Labour now. To be honest, yeah, I was going to ask you that, Thelma, because it, it, I was chatting to you uh, earlier some sometime, and you you were talking about that, and I was sort of thinking, you know, it really does kind of start to look a little bit like. It really is all over for the for the left with the Labour Party mm. now, and and you, you were saying just there, it looks like it's really only a matter of time before they get rid of these people. They really don't want them there. Um, they want to have this kind of homogenous party that um, you know doesn't have these kind of what they probably regard as rogue elements who are going to make statements point out inconvenient truths more is what I would say uh, they yeah. don't want that um, and I would say myself that it's it's imminent really that you know sooner they're going to pick them off aren't they there's probably a dozen or so there that they really can't tolerate I think yeah. I don't know what do you think I mean some of them though are in some of the safest seats in um, in, in the country um, so it's it's going to be a, a, a really tricky time and uh, I, I, you know with what's going on uh, globally at the moment I, you just wonder when it comes to a, the next general election um, just how febrile it's going to be you know um, it's because if you remember there's there's quite a lot of uh, the more experienced MPs stepping down as well um, I noticed uh, people like Rosie Winterton, um, Harriet Harman, you know, there's a number of them uh, stepping down. So, of course, they'll 
Starmer presumably will be putting in his, they call it briefcase Labour candidates. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, that that will be quite interesting too. So, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll see. Um, I mean, who knows the, the voting public? Uh, we've talked about propaganda and, you know, the, the public, you wonder whether we people will go with this new, new Labour um, and, and we'll, we'll just have that two-party system where it's not much difference between cigarette paper, as they say, between the two, two parties. But that's not going to transform society um, and, or, or deal with the major challenges that ordinary people and increasingly when you look at what's going to what's coming ahead with energy price increases and uh, national insurance increases um, all of these things insecure work all of these problems unaffordable housing for youngsters in particular just uh, such hard times and it, it needs trans transformational uh, uh, policies um, to 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 support those people and then that's not going to happen with this new new labor and it's certainly not going to happen under the Tories. No, but so it, I think that's the opportunity for the left, isn't it? There, that when um, when there's no longer any uh, illusion that the Labour Party's got anything to do with the left, the left hopefully at that point can stand up and say, you know, this is this is what we think should happen, and uh, yeah. and we know that the young people in this country are are, are right ready for that. We know there's a huge yeah. amount of the uh, of the oldies. We know there's a there's a yeah. huge amount of people that will yeah. go. Yes, you are right. And if the Tories and Labour are saying the same thing, which they virtually are going to be or are already, really, there's the, you know that's a real big opportunity for the left. So you know something positive, hopefully, will come out of this kind of. Oh yeah, I mean, even though we obviously we're all feeling very down at the moment, my hope is when I see. When I see Breakthrough Party and Northern Independence Party and the candidates they're standing and um, they are the future and they give me hope um, because, they, you know, we've got a shared policy platform within uh, the People's Alliance and um, membership is growing, as I've said before, um, and, and, and it will take time. It will take time. But, um, but I, I believe that, that, you know, our movement is growing and, and I think it's the future. I really do. Um, but it's not going to be easy. It isn't easy. Um, there are challenges ahead. Um, but, but I think the mood in the country is such that, um, that, that there is a desire for change. Um, and we saw it. We saw it, didn't we, in 17 and 19. And, and because, I've said this before, because it's been seen, it can't be unseen now. And this is why you've probably noticed, Tom, that, that Jeremy in particular has been getting a lot of personal stick again, even though he's not been Lotto for two years now. Um, they're still fearful of him. They're terrified um, of him. Absolutely terrified of him. Well, and us. It's not just Jeremy, to be fair. It's the millions that would just go, yeah, you're right. And, yeah. and that's, that's what terrifies them. If it was just Jeremy, they'd just write him off yeah. as a... Well, this is what we have in what I've seen, you know, it's quite liberal um, media, uh, you know, in The Guardian, etc. This is why we get these supposed left journalists um, 
having a go again at Jeremy because they're fearful. They, they, they really are fearful of, of socialism, true socialism, that is going to transform um, our society and, and improve our society for everybody. Um, and of course, there's that eco-socialism as well within that. Um, so, the, you know, there's, 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 there's just so much to fight for. And um, it's not easy times for, for any of us. But as I say, the, that younger generation give me hope. And, um, and, and let's hope over this next few months we can come through. Because, of course, what people are forgetting now, of course, is, is COVID is still there too. Um, and, um, and with what's happening with in Ukraine, and, uh, and obviously that's a priority now, but COVID hasn't gone away uh, and people suffering through that too. You know? So it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> indeed. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a sorry state of affairs, really, when you look at the state of things. But um, I do feel positive, aside from the war, which is absolutely, you know, I, I get, I mean... For God's sake, I mean, we're not out of the woods by any means. And if they, if some daft idiot does something wrong and oh. it all kicks off to the next level, yeah, we're talking a whole different ball game. And, and you know, and I know so many people are aware of that. And I know when we were growing up, I mean, I'm older than you, Thelma, but I know when we were growing up, we were terrified of, of um, nuclear war. I didn't really want to go down this road, but I know because I've been talking to my kids and it's like they they haven't had that before, really. I remember when my kids were little and I used to think, oh, my God, I can't bear this. This whole thing could end in in absolute yeah. awful. And then it yeah. kind of went away, didn't it? And and it's now it's kind of reared its head again. And my kids, one of my daughters particularly, she's really on it, you know, and um, and she posts stuff and she's a, a beautiful well all my kids are beautiful but she's a real deep thinker and um and uh, she she feels it and she says it and uh and it's mm. it's um such such a thing but but that aside and i just all we can do is just hope really that we we come through this and not just for us more so for the people that are involved in all that crap that mm. that can somehow be sorted out to some degree where it's you know we can deal with it again. Um, yeah, I, th I think the the nuclear question it has always been for me the 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 danger of it, the dangerous talk of people who talk glibly about it almost as if you survive it. You know, if there's a nuclear holocaust, if there's you know if. I, I, you no, know, no, you don't survive it. None of us will survive it with the number of warheads. Um, that the Russians and NATO possess, uh, none of us will survive any of it. And it's it's that it, it's those people, those politicians that or, or people on social media that just talk as if, oh well, you know, if we came through it, no, no, we won't come through it. None of us will come through it. And all that funding and money that has gone into buying those warheads could end world poverty and hunger you know and that's what I see um and yeah it's it, it is just um it, it's just very very difficult and awful times but I suppose our main focus should be on those that are suffering the most at the moment um in these areas of conflict and just hope we've mentioned not having the right people um I mean I have to say 
um, I'm missing Angela Merkel at the moment. <laughs> you know, that voice of reason and not not particularly the same politics as myself, but just just somebody who you feel, like I mentioned Mark Drakeford, people who you just feel are steadfast in their principles and measured in the language that they use, who are listeners that that's, you know, it's getting the right people around the table. And I have to say Macron is one of the few politicians that has still tried to extend these negotiations and discussions. Um, and certain politicians have are coming out of this where I'm thinking, um, and, and also the, the European um, leaders who've been interviewed, I just seem so much more um, level-headed and confident, most of them, compared to the people we've got, oh. uh, who just seem to be warmongers and come out with, with insensitive things that make the situation worse. Um, and, and that is, has been quite a, an eye-opener for me as well, of, of the different levels of ability of the different politicians but yeah I think somebody somebody like Merkel at the moment is is kind of missing around the table really but um, yeah I think yeah. I think the quality that you you you, you know that we need is integrity really and and honesty yeah. And, yeah. and and humility and yeah. uh, you know I'm sadly I, I don't want to we don't want to go too much into this again mm. but we our politicians mm. don't really aren't, that's not their strong suits uh, no it's but, not it's what I was saying about the empathy and the listening um isn't there you know um it, it, it's just not there at all but we just have to hope we have to hope that we'll, we'll new leaders will emerge from this and um um, and get around the table and um, because they'll have to come back to the table whatever happens no matter how dire things get you have to end up coming back to those peace negotiations um, and and um, peace it, it will have to be resolved and let's hope it's sooner rather than later so yeah we need um, to get through this and then we need to regroup with the right qualities at the top and uh yeah, and um, um, we'll um, perhaps be able to next time we meet, Tom, we'll be able to talk about um, at home the um, what's happened in the by election and um, and what's happening as we come up to the May elections as well, because those are coming. Yeah, up that's soon. going to be interesting too. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. Okay, well that's good. We've uh, we've got to the end of our uh, podcast. I, I've got to be honest, I was uh, nervous as, but. Um, yeah. We're there, and it's been, as always, really nice to talk to you, Thelma. I do like listening to, uh, you know, a slightly more organised mind than my own. Oh, no, no, it's good to talk to you, Tom, and to share. And actually, because it's such a difficult time, it's just lovely to be able to uh, discuss things with you. And uh, great to talk to you, Tom. And um, I've got um, some words from John F. Kennedy. He said, war will exist until that distant day when the conscientious objector enjoys the same reputation and prestige that the warrior does today. Solidarity. <laughs> <laughs>